Welcome to Medicare for All Explained. This podcast will enlighten our listeners and dispel the distortions that surround Medicare for All. Medicare for All Explained is produced in collaboration with Physicians for a National Health Program and is hosted and produced by Joe Sparks. I'm your host, Joe Sparks. This is episode 23. The average family is going to get much more and pay much less. In this episode, my guest, Victoria Dooley, MD, describes the problems patients and doctors face under our current health care system and how Medicare for All will solve these problems. Dr. Dooley is a board-certified family medicine physician, a member of Physicians for Our National Health Program, and a healthcare activist. She has appeared on numerous live radio and TV broadcasts, and she was a weekly contributing medical expert on ABC WXYZ TV News in Detroit for over two years. Dr. Dooley has published op-eds in the New York Times and the HuffPost. Dr. Dooley, welcome to Medicare for All Explained. Thank you, Joe. I'm excited to be talking with you. Great. So I'd like to start by asking, how did you become a doctor and how did that lead you to support Medicare for All? Well, I always knew I wanted to be a doctor. I don't know why. Um, but my parents saw that I had an interest in science at a very young age. So um, they fostered that and they kept me in summer programs at the universities um, to continue to expose me to science and medicine. And my father, he was one of the first patients to get some sort of artificial heart valve when he was about 13 in Ohio. So he had this long scar down the middle of his chest. And so when I was a little girl, I would say I was going to be a uh, cardiothoracic surgeon in case he ever needed surgery again, that I was going to do that. So I think that my love of sciences and um, my interest in my dad's surgery is what prompted me to be a doctor. Why am I so passionate about a single-payer Medicare for all system? Well, um, I remember back in the old days, good old days, when I could go to the doctor and pay nothing. When I was a teen, I had acne. I remember going to the pharmacy and picking up my prescriptions and paying nothing. Um, and then one day it changed and I had to pay 50 cents. And that was kind of irritating, but, you know, I could deal with it. Then it was $3. And now when I'm going to the pharmacy and other people, even with good insurance, you're having to pay hundreds of or thousands of dollars just to get your medication. So um, I'm a relatively young physician. And just in my lifetime, I've seen how the costs are being shifted more and more to the individuals. Um, to patients and how devastating it can be for people. So um, that's why I'm fighting to eradicate all those co-pays and deductibles and everything. So I know you're interested in this. Are there a lot of myths being spread about Medicare for all? What do you consider to be the worst myths? Oh, yes. There's so many out there, right? Well, number one, my, my biggest frustration is they're trying to take away your health insurance. They're trying to take something away from you. And you know what? Uh, Medicare for All is about giving. It's about giving everyone uh, health care, a single-payer system that would eliminate co-pays and deductibles. And that's a gift. I don't know anybody nowadays who can go to the doctor and go to the pharmacy and pay zero 
unless maybe it's after they've met all these other astronomical costs. So this does not take away anything. Um, if, if you had $10, Joe, and I said, you know what? I'd like to take that $10 and, and give you this $20 bill. Have I really taken anything away from you? No. So I think that's a lot of fear mongering that, that we're trying to take away something that people love. And nobody loves their insurance nowadays. These rising cost sharing that we're putting on people. So it's very frustrating that they try to steer people and say, oh, we're taking something and minimizing that. No, we're not. We are giving something to everyone. Uh, the average family is going to pay much less and get much more. So that's one of my biggest frustrations. Well, one of the points of that is that most families, probably in the neighborhood of 90%, will actually end up paying less and have more disposable income. Absolutely. When you think about it, you have premiums, you have deductibles, you have co-pays, you have co-insurance, you have out-of-network fees. So you could be paying a ton of different fees just for one service. Um, and then there's all these people who say, oh, we can't afford it. It's going to cost too much. And you did an excellent job on one of your episodes talking about the economic cost of our healthcare system. And just the contrary is true. We cannot afford to continue our current system of healthcare. We spend more than other developed nations and we, we get less. Um, uh, people say, well, it's going to lead to rationing of care. You know what? We're rationing care now. Um, diabetics are rationing insulin. Um, people are saying, I can't afford my co-pair, my deductible, so I'm not going to go to the doctor. Uh, we are rationing now. This is not some fear that once everybody has insurance, we're going to ration. Uh, we are rationing now because people are underinsured, and it's a life or death situation for too many people. That's certainly true. And it's always surprising to me when surveys are taken, how many people skip going to the doctor because of cost. I'd like to go to a different topic, if I may. You said on social media that Medicare for All is not a political issue. Why do you think that it is not a political issue? It is. My frustration with it is, in my opinion, it should not be deemed a, a political statement if a doctor believes that everyone should be able to go to the doctor and, you know, get taken care of and not have to um, die. Uh, because they could not afford their care or that for a doctor to say, say that, you know what, I believe that if there's any profit left at the end of the day after everybody pays, that that profit should not go to a handful of millionaires and billionaires, that that profit should be put back into the system to take care of people that really need the health care. It shouldn't be. When you think about what a doctor does, our Hippocratic oath, we, we should be free to say that, yes, we believe everyone deserves the right to not die from illnesses that are too expensive for them to treat. Whenever you say something like that, even if you don't use the words Medicare for all or single care, uh, it's going to come off as a political statement because as a nation, we have too many politicians who don't support it, which should be all, all candidates should be believing in this, but not all do. We need to eliminate the profit in healthcare and people who are sick in this wealthy country should be able to be taken care of. We can't afford it. We can't afford to insure our citizens just like every other developed nation in the world. And it's just frustrating because if a doctor speaks up about that, people are going to assume that they are one political affiliation or the other. They might upset some patients and not want to go there. Uh, people leave negative reviews about me. I've never met him in my life. Never had any contact with him in my entire life. 
But just because I'm so vocal online and social media about how I feel that people should not die because they have the misfortune of getting illnesses that are too expensive for them to treat. So I understand that why some doctors might not want to be as vocal as me, because at the end of the day, it could affect their business. If people are attacking you online and leaving bad reviews and they don't even know you, don't even live in your state, it could affect your bottom line. So Medicare for All, it is a political thing. It's just frustrating to me as a physician. Um, I don't feel like it should be. The idea that in this wealthy nation, anyone who's sick should be able to go to the doctor or the hospital and be taken care of without fear of bankruptcy. That shouldn't be, that should just be the minimum that we should expect um, as Americans in this wealthy nation. I agree that it should not be a political issue. It's a moral issue. And we should be making sure people can get the care they need when they need it. Like with fire departments. If there's a fire, we make sure everybody can get the help they need. Absolutely. Especially for the nature of our career and what we do. Um, that's the type of doctor I would want to go to. A doctor who says, I'm going to give everybody good care, no matter what, their income, their color. That's the type of doctor I want to go to. I don't want to go to a doctor who says, you know what, I give better care to people who have better insurance or to people who have, who have more money. Um, that should not be uh, something that we tolerate in our profession. One of the things that I've heard several doctors talk about is that the insurance reporting requirements are just ridiculous. And I know that you have tweeted about that. Could you speak to that, please? Yes. Well, reporting, uh, administrative red tape, there's so many things that we have to do as physicians that are non-clinical, non-patient care related, and it's very frustrating. I have electronic medical record where I enter data and, and chart our notes, and there's a whole section on the left side of it that's devoted to these quality measures, and there's a whole bunch of boxes that you have to check off. And, and you know, I tell them all the time, and we have this, this group that comes out from the hospital, and, and each quarter or every other month or so, they want to update and tell us about, oh, how we have some new measures and some new boxes to check. And every single time they come out to my office, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. If I spend my entire visit checking all these boxes, I'm going to spend 15, 20 minutes on that alone, and then there's no time left for the patient. Like, how can you reasonably expect any physician to go over this checklist of stuff that has nothing to do with the reason why the patient is here and still have time for their patient? And not only that, it's just because we have all these different types of insurance that have all these different types of requirements. It's something as simple as I might want my patient to get a, a CAT scan. They might need a CAT scan. You know who I can get imaging for without any other red tape? Medicare, because they're very effective at what they do. But all these other insurances, we might have to make a ton of phone calls, fill out forms just to get a patient something that I need, like a special test or a specific medication. Hundreds of different insurance companies all pay for different medications. I could have a patient on a medication stable, doing well, Joe, for years. All of a sudden, their employer decides to switch to a different healthcare plan that saves them some money. And then guess what? Uh, all of a sudden, the new insurance doesn't pay for the medication. This happens all the time. And it's so frustrating and it wastes time. Um, I send a medication to the pharmacy, a reasonable medication that I believe should be covered. I get a call back. The insurance company won't pay for this medication. Okay, try medication number B, uh, letter B. I get another call. They still won't pay for this one. And it's like for me as a physician to keep up with all the medications that hundreds of insurance companies 
will pay for, it's impossible. Patients don't know themselves what their insurance covers. So how, I guess, how, how can I as a physician know what hundreds of types of different insurance covers? So yes, um, it leads to burnout. In my opinion, most people became doctors because they like seeing patients and taking care of their patients. Maybe they're radiologists. They wanted to do medicine, but they didn't want to have that hands-on patient-to-patient experience. Maybe a pathologist. But people who go with specialties and in general practice, we go in it because we want to take care of our patients. And too much of our time is wasted um, on paperwork and check boxes just to get our patients the best basic necessities that they need. You talked about fighting insurance companies to get patients the medications you want for them, especially if the meds are working well. Along with medications, have you also found that you often have to argue with insurance companies to get the treatments you want for patients? Often. Uh, Joe, I have a patient, very, very bad asthma, uh, was on prednisone because of it. And prednisone long-term has a ton of devastating side effects, weight gain, diabetes, just a ton of horrible things can happen. We finally found an inhaler that worked for her. Her insurance paid for it. She was doing great, not coming to the office in the ER every month, every other month for a bad asthma attack. She has the same insurance, but from year to year, they can change what they decide to cover. She hasn't switched jobs. She hasn't switched insurance plans. It's just her insurance decided that they don't want to pay for that inhaler anymore. So you guess what? Now she's on another inhaler that doesn't work as well. She can't breathe good. She's in my office. She's on steroids, which have dozens of side effects. Going to the ER, all for a problem that we solved with certain medication that she was on. All of a sudden, the insurance company decides we're not going to pay for that medication anymore. I spent an hour on the phone with that company trying to find out what's going on. How can we get this covered? You know, why did they deny it? After an hour, at the end of an hour, going through different people, trying to find out how can I get my patient the medication they need, at the end of the day, they say, oh, it's out of our hands. It's not our fault. Her employer decided not to pay for this medication. We were talking about Dr. Burnout. I assume fighting insurance companies also causes Dr. Burnout? Absolutely. All the administrative red tape, it does. You either have to spend a lot of money and have a task that is devoted to nothing but these prior off and all this nonsense, or you have to spend a lot of time. And again, what do I love as a primary care physician? I love the connections that I make with my patients. I love how, as a family doctor, I'll see somebody, they'll come in, it's usually a mom, and then I'll see their kids, and once in a while, they're convinced their cousin to come in. I'm seeing these young kids grow up. Young kids, I remember the struggles they had through high school, and now they're doing well in college. That's what I love, interactions that I have with my patients. But when I spend time devoted to arguing with somebody who's not a physician about what my patient needs, that decreases my overall job satisfaction. That's not what I wanted to do that hour. I did it because the, that's what the patient needed. And at the end of the day, I'm going to help my patient. But I would much rather spend that time talking with my patient, taking care of my patient, than talking with the insurance company, checking their boxes and their quality benchmarks instead of devoting my time listening and taking care of my patient. That's not why I became a doctor. And do you think Medicare for All would solve that problem? Absolutely, absolutely it would solve a huge amount of those problems. We have a nationwide formulary so that I know what's covered for people. And just to be able to go to work and know that if I write a test or a medication for my patient and I have 100% confidence that they're going to be able to go to the pharmacy and get it 
with no cost concerns, that's I'm going to be able to see more patients. My patients are going to be happier and healthier. My overall work satisfaction is going to be more. I just want to go to work and know that when I write my patients a plan of action, whether it be a medication, no matter what it is, that they won't have cost as an obstacle. So we were talking about the problems with insured patients and they're having to pay things. And of course, under insurance is a big problem. And that's some of the things you address because of the cost. But what about patients who are uninsured? So when people are uninsured or underinsured, with the Affordable Care Act, it insured more people, but it did nothing to address this epidemic of being underinsured with these rising costs. So when people are underinsured, they, they ration care. They avoid going to the doctor when they're sick. And when people are sick uh, with communicable illnesses, it affects the whole community. Um, in Michigan, we are a state that has a high prevalence of hepatitis A. It was at epidemic levels. Um, we're slowly uh, getting the levels down by vaccinating people. But think about it. Um, hepatitis A is transmitted maybe through direct person-to-person contact or through food and beverages. So if you're sick and you work in the um, restaurant or food care industry, you don't make a lot of money because we don't have a, a livable living wage in, in this country, and you're a little bit sick, uh, and you can't afford to go to the doctor. You can't afford to go to the doctor. You don't make enough money as it is to get by. You certainly don't make enough money to take a day off, to go to the doctor, to pay your copay, your deductible or whatever. So you might go to work sick, and you might have hepatitis A that day, and then you spread it to everybody who comes in contact with you. So when people are underinsured and they can't get the care that they need when they're sick, when it's something that we're talking about, like hepatitis A, which, it, you know, you could spread it throughout the whole community and devastate the whole community. Whereas if we had a nationwide um, health care system, if we had a livable uh, minimum wage, when people felt like they were sick, that there was no financial obstacles to getting diagnosed and treated, um, then we could limit the amount of people who go to work sick. Um, and get other people sick. And that problem would also apply to people who don't have insurance because they also wouldn't be able to afford to go to the doctor, correct? Absolutely. When people don't have insurance, they get sicker. If they get sicker with communicable illnesses, it affects the whole community. Just think about the epidemic of HIV in rural communities. In rural communities, there's several reasons. Um, why we have obstacles to getting care in rural communities. Um, but cost is definitely an issue. When you make too much to get Medicaid, but not enough to um, have a good insurance and afford to co-pay and deductible, you don't go to the doctor. Um, it's the opioid epidemic. When you get sick and you can't afford, it's expensive to have to be HIV positive and get those medications and things. And so if, if you don't have the knowledge and the money to do so, um, that's why these illnesses are affecting the community. So we can eliminate cost as an obstacle to health care. Is it going to cure all problems? No. But we have excellent data that supports when people are underinsured and uninsured, they get sicker and they die sooner. So, and that's not right in this wealthy nation. You should not die just because um, you're not as wealthy as somebody else here in the United States when we have all, when we have ways to cure and treat so many illnesses. Everybody should have a way to see their doctor, no matter what their income in this wealthy country. One of the things I'm wondering about is 
Are people avoiding vaccines because of costs? Absolutely. That's part of the issue, preventative medicine. If you're not, if you're uninsured, you're absolutely not getting preventative medicine. If you're uninsured, the last thing on your mind is going to a doctor and paying them for a vaccination. So, yes, that's absolutely a huge issue, preventative medicine, going to the doctor, getting vaccines to prevent illness. No, if you don't have insurance, you are not going to the doctor and getting your uh, vaccines and your preventative medicine. So everybody has that option. Um, I do believe it's not going to convince everybody to get the vaccination, but if we eliminate costs as a health concern, then I believe it would help more people to get preventative medicine, including vaccinations, cancer screenings. If you're uninsured or underinsured, you're more likely to die from cancer because you can't afford it. So being able to get your preventative screening for people who are uninsured and insured is going to be huge to help for our overall nation's health. Yes, and I think people underestimate the importance of preventive screenings. We do. But you know what we have now is with preventative screenings, the Affordable Care Act made it so that you can get physical with certain things like a mammogram maybe with no cost. But what people are telling me, Joe, is that if I have cancer, I don't want to know because I'm not going to be able to afford the treatment of it. So that's a frustrating thing. Prevention, you can make eliminate costs for that. But if you're eliminating cost barriers to screening, but not eliminating the cost barriers to actually treating the illness once we screened and found it, you're not really helping people. People all the time will tell me, I'm not going to get this cancer screening because worst case scenario, if I do have cancer, I will not be able to afford to pay for it. And that's just heartbreaking for me as a physician. We know that early detection saves lives. But with our current system of being underinsured and all these out-of-pocket costs that we have, you can have insurance and still pass on some of your preventative screenings because you are scared of what they may show. And if they do show that you have cancer, you don't want to even know about it and have to have the worry and the fear of going bankrupt because of it because you know you don't have enough money saved up for your deductible to meet all the costs that will be associated with treating your cancer. I would hope that anybody would find that heartbreaking, not just physicians. Do you have anything that you'd like to add before we end? Um, I go to work, and it's just horror story after horror story about how a patient can't afford something or, or was burdened with debt, and it's just devastating. And I'm glad that we're finally having a nationwide conversation um, because I've been seeing it every year. More and more people um, have been getting sicker because they're seeing the doctor less and they can't afford the medications that they need. And any system that is going to allow private insurers to stay in the mix is not a system that I can get behind. Um, Medicare Advantage plans fraudulently building and other practices rob taxpayers of billion do- billions of dollars a year. And the government is struggling and doesn't know if they're going to be able to get that money back. Because at the end of the day, their motivation is just profit. And we need to eliminate that motivation in healthcare. We should not allow private payers to continue to profit off our illness and our death. It is just something that is unconscionable in this wealthy United States. And so, again, when I'm talking about Medicare for all, I'm talking about a single-payer system where we have eliminated private insurers for the mix, not Medicare Advantage, Medicare for all, that leaves no room to incentivize these private insurers 
from profiting off of our illness and misfortune. Dr. Dooley, thank you so much for being on Medicare for All Explained. Thank you, Joe. It was my pleasure. You have been listening to Medicare for All Explained. Information about this podcast can be found at our website, medicareforallexplained.org. The music for this show is Super Bubbly by Jesse Spillane. The logo was created by Lily Sparks. Thank you for listening.